Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Afternoon, Marit. Uh, so Good afternoon it, to you. It, it is autumn basically here? Oh, we had some glorious weather after I was talking to you last Wednesday. Absolutely gorgeous. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, certainly a little bit cooler and definitely cooler today. It's I describe it here now as very as cool and quite overcast and no sign of any sunshine coming through. So, yeah, but I think the... The biggest um, sign that, you know, we're changing seasons is I was out for my walk last night and at the top of our lane, we have a big old tree and there's telegraph pole wires coming from it. And um, there was a whole bunch of swallows there and they were getting real excited and they were swooping and diving and into the grass in the field, which they usually don't do. And um, and it was actually the first week of September last year that the swallows disappeared and they they just all seem to gather together in, in different groups. And it's like as if they're telling each other it's about time we were gone. Uh, but last night now was the first time I saw them all, that many of them gathered. And there have only been about maybe four or six around there during the summer. But there was a much bigger number now and very excitable and very chatty. Right. So, um, yeah, it's nice to nice to see them. But um, and then also we also have... Um, a whole lot more thrushes. We never used to have thrushes here. Um, it, it, I don't know why we didn't. And uh, and then a few years ago, we put in a Rosa Ragosa hedge. And this is, um, you know, it, it's a deciduous hedge, but it's a rose hedge. And it produces these gorgeous big roses and then these amazing hips the size of cherry tomatoes and, and just as red as the tomatoes. So the, the thrushes absolutely love them. They're out there now. We've about four of them here at the minute. And they're in the, the hedge and they, the, the branches are just about able to support them. If the crows tried to get at the rows of Rugosa hips, now they couldn't because they wouldn't be able, they'd be too heavy for the branches. Mm. And um, so they're, they're all out here at the minute as well. And it's lovely to see them back. And the other thing that we have here, and if any of your readers or your listeners have more information on this, I'd be delighted to hear from them. We have a bar now. Now, I oh. think I told you this last year. Yeah. Outside, just right outside the back door, the kitchen door, um, there was this hissing sound. Now, it sounded for all the world like... Crikey. You hear that? Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't know what it was. And then, you know, we, we, um, my husband has a, you know, a, a very good torch. And we went out and we had a look. Because right beside where we are, there's a sycamore tree growing in over the roof. And there's an old house, a wreck of a house. And... Um, Anyway, here's, there's this barn owl. And they're the creepiest looking owls. You know, they're <laughs> snow white and very piercing eyes. And then you've got this. So I don't know whether we have one, we have one barn owl or whether we have a family. Um, and who makes the hissing? Is it the male or the female? Or is it the, the you know, the, the little chicks that make that hissing? Now, it sounds as if it's made by an adult um, a barn owl. But if any of your, your listeners know more about barn owls, I'd be delighted to hear. Ours now is less than 30 feet from the kitchen door. So they're very, very near the house. And um, and, why, and when we, we were absolutely delighted to get them last year or to have them come. It's wonderful when they come back a second year, you know. You know mm. then that they're happy and that they're they're not afraid or they're not frightened and they found a good location. Yeah, but they're, they're really creepy because you can see them fly around the yard at night in the dark and they're this white and they just kind of whoosh past you and then the next thing is this sound of this 
Gosh, really, that's you know, an really, odd really sound. I didn't, I didn't know what kind of sound an, an owl. I thought it was, you know, kind of twit to woo type sound rather than yeah. That, well, that I, I thought that, yeah, but this is definitely there's nowhere we've no big kind of boa constrictors around the place, <laughs> um, so it has to be coming from the owl and um, from the barn owl. But I don't know wh- whether it's a male call, a female call, or whether it's the the chicks that are calling. But it's that's exactly what it sounds like, and it keeps going. Now, when they when they turned up here about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, again the dogs were driven demented at night, and of course they drove us demented because the dogs kept barking. They couldn't understand what this thing was that was going. Oh, nice. So it, it already kind of kicks off at about 10 or 11 o'clock at night doing this. Oh, God, that's and, some racket uh, then. And stays at it, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but we're, we're delighted to have them. But then um, just in terms of the birds, you know, uh, so we, we've got the barn owl and we've the swallows. But uh, we, we've also loads of little wrens and robins. And, um, and and they're getting a kind of a free run at everything at the moment because the, the tits and those type of little birds who really very much depend on, you know, being fed with peanuts and bird seed and mealworms and everything like that. They haven't kind of arrived back yet, but we'll be putting out feed for them now in the next week or so. Ah, right. Actually, so we do, uh, we do, sorry to interrupt you, Mike, but we do have a clip of a barn owl. So this is, so listeners oh, know, on, this, yeah. this is what they sound like. Now... Wow. There's no two wheat to who dare. No, no, that's not, that's not not at all cute and cuddly, like you know, like you'd no, want them to isn't. be. No, and, and they're kind of this kind of pale, unearthly kind of white. But they're, they're you know, we we were afraid we didn't want to go out even, you know, in the dark with mm. them or with the torch, because I didn't want to frighten them away. We did that with um we had um five um swallows' nests on one side of the house here. And um we also have Virginia Creeper on the house and it had reached up to where the next nests were the previous year and we kept meaning to get, you know, a, a ladder or something to get up to it and cut it back so that it wouldn't kind of, you know, creep in around the, the swallows' nests. But the swallows arrived before we got to kind of tidy up around their nests and um, they were there for about a day or two. And then when we went at it to pull back the ivy so that it wouldn't kind of go in around them, um, they decided, oh, there's too much interference here. We're not coming mm. back. Now, they went and they settled in other places around the yard. But they didn't come back to that particular place. And um, so it just shows, you know, do, do not kind of interfere. And that's why we're not trying to do that now with the, with the barn owl. But I'd still love to know who, which of them makes that sound. Is it the male or the female? Or is it the chicks? Oh, and, yeah. and what is the cycle there? How long can we expect to have them? Well, no doubt we, we will hear from people uh, over the next hour or so. So uh, the, right. moving on to other matters, the, the, uh, the value and volume of agriculture has both come, gone up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, now they're CSO figures and they're for the last 12 months or for up to the end of um, 2020. Uh, yeah, this is 2021. That's right. Um, so you can, there's years in, in agriculture where you can have an increase in value and it comes from, um, you know, it's all to do with output. You're producing so much more and that's how you're getting your value, your extra value. Very rarely does it matter or does it happen where you kind of maybe go down in the volume output and up in the value. But but that has actually happened now in this year, not necessarily in, in all areas. But um, but the value of the entire agricultural output rose by 392 million uh, between, you know, the 2019 and 2020. And and, that, and that's a fair whack of an increase in particularly in the environment that we were in. And a third of that output um, in value 
uh, came from the beef production and also uh, dairy very valuable and it was its uh, increased value was accounted for both in terms of higher meat prices and larger volumes that then was supplied to the market so you know usually you would expect if you've got larger volumes that the value of the product might go down but in actual fact they had higher value and higher, higher output. Mm. Um, it was also a very good year for sheep farmers and um, this was the largest, this had the, this sector had the largest proportional increase in value output. It was up by about 16, over 16%. And um, so that's, you know, hence all the, 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 the marts at the moment that are using, doing special sheep sales and ram sales. There's very good prices being reported and I think it shows a great confidence in that sector. Yeah. Um, the tillage, why are the, the price- why are the prices going up, right? Well, be, be, because, well, I have always had this theory that farmers, when they put money in their pocket or they get money to go into their pocket, they take it out as fast as they can and they spend it on more or better livestock or, you know, increasing their the kind of the pedigree value of their herd. Um, it goes back into the farm and when they have more money, they spend more money and that's basically a vicious circle. Mm. Um so uh, the tillage was the, one of them where, where the volume was down by substantially, down about 16%, but the prices were higher. And um, so, you know, all in all, it, it didn't work out too bad. Um, but anyway, it's just that, you know, in terms of value of the, the volume increase in some sectors didn't lead to a price reduction. In fact, in the case of sheep, there was even a price increase, so both volume and value increased. Right. Okay. So it's a it's a it's a, it's a win win then. Happy times for farmers. Yeah, it's, it's, at least it's at a the double moment. win. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, right. Uh, and so the uh, the Farming for Nature Awards. Tell us about them. Right. Well, Farming for Nature. Um, there, there's an awful lot of people around the country really doing wonderful jobs on their farms for to help both the environment and to help you know just. Well, well, sustainability right across the board. They're in their second year and they aim to source and share stories of farmers who are managing their land and their livestock in a way that really benefits nature. And there's absolutely gorgeous stories there. I won't go into any of them now because I wouldn't like to be picking um, one over the other. But if anyone is interested, they're available to see on www.farmingfornature.ie. Um, there's a whole account and, you know, stories of the different farmers and what they're doing. And they're ranging from people like with just very small acres, two or three acres, to people with 400 acres and what they're actually doing to help to farm with nature and for nature. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a whole scheme that's... Um, uh, funded by Board Bia, they're the main sponsor, and it's Origin Green program. And it's hoped that by profiling all these farmers who are doing this every year, um, that others will be informed and others will be encouraged to go down the same route. Yes. So it's it's this. It's not your your ordinary dairy farming or your ordinary um, livestock farming. It's you know the the particular you know way they look at it. And um, and how farming for nature is a big part of what they do. Yeah. Now, twelve uh, percent uh, um, uh, female farmers account for twelve percent of all the farms in the country. To be honest, I'm surprised it's that high. Well, yes, I suppose you could say that. Um, um, but in comparison to a lot of European countries, it's actually ex- 
extremely small. And the thing is, in the last 20, 30 years, it hasn't shown too many signs of improving. So 12% of the 137,000 farmers and an awful lot of these are, you know, and I hope they don't mind me saying it, you know, they are widows. Um, so they inherited from their husbands. And very often, the only time a woman inherits is if there's no male to inherit. And I mean, that can even be up to a nephew's, you know, because favourite nephews have, have a particular status. Well, I know nieces have as well. But um, uh, it's it's the numbers are very low. And I suppose during the 1980s, there was a good push to get more women involved. But then the Celtic Tiger took to roar and there was, you know, jobs to be got off farm and training to be got. And women were encouraged to take up these positions. So they left the farms. And um, and now, I suppose, again, we're now facing into an environment where families are smaller, where daughters are, um, you know, maybe there's only two in the family and they're both girls. And there's a lot more girls around, I think, to to inherit farms and to become farmers in their own right. But there's a new group after being established, and it's the Women in Agriculture Stakeholders Group. And unusually for farming, this group is made up of everything from the IFA to the ICMSA to Mocrina Pharma to the Organic uh, Growers Association to the uh, uh, Southeast Women in Farming Group and the West Women in Farming Group. It's right across the board. The Natura farmers as well are in there. And they're, they're, what they're wanting to do is encourage policy in the new common agricultural policy to be directed towards women and um, and to give some sort of you know extra push to help women get involved. One of the things they're saying is if farmers set up a partnership business, um, and there's a female uh, farm partner, you know, uh, involved that they should get a, a partnership tax credit for about five thousand euro per year for five years. So that would be a carrot um, sort of encouragement there. So that they would get that tax credit. Um, they also want to have these the training schemes so that the, the, if women are involved in them, that the funding for women goes up from 40 to 60 percent. So uh, it's not just training, it's it's all to do with, with uh, development of the farm, but that women would get a greater um, uh, grant support. At a very practical level, they want the dates and times of farm meetings to be taken into consideration because so many women continue to support farms by way of their off-farm employment. So things that, you know, if they're working off-farm, you need to have the timing of agricultural courses provided by the likes of Chagas. Um, you need to have the timing considered. You know, you need to think about when are these women available to take these courses if they're working full time off farm. Mm. Um, they also want to have in terms of knowledge transfer. And, and I certainly found this back along. Um, the group wants to see the introduction of female only um, knowledge transfer groups. Now, I can see some people jumping up and down about that. Um, but certainly here in Limerick in the 1980s, Mary Lyons ran a female, found that women weren't coming out to the, the you know, the meetings where you get information about farming. And they weren't coming out because they, they didn't see the point of it. They weren't going to ask any questions. Um, they didn't want to be upstaging their, their partners. Uh, and there was a view that that's what they might be doing. And um, so Mary set up a, an all-woman um, farm discussion group 
who visited each other's farms, who took the advice and who gained the confidence to be able to go into a, 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 a mainly male audience and make their point and ask their supplementary questions and, and, and not feel as if somebody is commenting about them and that they knew the business as well as any of the men in the hall. So they're, they're actually saying that they would like to see the reintroduction of these groups, especially in counties where female membership of such groups is very low. Yeah. So um, so that has been done before and I couldn't see any reason why it shouldn't be done again. Yeah. But, um, but I think it, it's very important from farmers' point of view that they understand the consumer. And again, you know, it's mainly females who do the shopping and know what the choices are out there in terms of alternatives to farm produce. And um, and I think they need the women's voices need and must be heard in the farming sector, um, right across the board. Whether it comes to you know farm business, farm policy, farm organisations, the women women have to be in there. And yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely be very supportive of this group and the work that they're trying to do. Uh, and finally, Japanese knotweed. It's a curse. Yeah, this is a right vicious thing, and it's not just you know that it's ugly, and it it is ugly. Um, but it's also pretty dangerous because it can even make its way through concrete. And um, yeah, it can. And, you know, it, it, now I, I don't know how many houses have been affected by it here, but certainly in other parts of Europe, it has proved an absolute curse. So um, anyway, NUIG scientists um, with their research partners in the University of Leeds and um, ACOM have think, think they have discovered a way of a way of getting rid of um uh, this knotweed and um, what they're doing is if you remove the moisture it could be a way of controlling small infestations now removing the moisture is a bit like um, you know cutting hay so you cut it down and you let it let it um, you know um, dry out but the thing about that is um, you know how how when are you going to get the weather in this country? Now I know we had a few great days last week, mm-hmm. and we had a few great days in early July, but that really was about it. You wouldn't get weather to make hay, and this is the equivalent of trying to make hay with uh, the knotweed. So farmers are asking questions um, as to how the material will be dried out, and um, you know because you just don't get those days here in this country, and you'd really want to get it before it shed seeds. So you'd be talking about earlier in the summer. So um, it it might be a good experiment inside in a laboratory, but whether it'll work um, out on the ground is a different matter entirely. Indeed. Mairead, thanks a million uh, for talking to us as ever. Uh, Mairead Lavery there. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We'll take a break. Back in a couple of minutes. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.